travel this earth shifting sense that transcend all the reason of man but the things that matter the most in this world they can never be held in our hand I believe that the Christ who was slain on that cross has the power to change lives today for he changed me completely a new life is mine that is why by the cross i will stay i believe in a hill called mount calvary I Surely someday we'll come to an end. But faith will conquer the darkness and death, and will lead me at last to my friend. I believe in a hill called Mount Calvary. I believe whatever the cost, and when time has surrendered and earth is no more, I'll still cling to that old rugged cross. I believe in a hill. Let's take our Bibles, turn over to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 12, Acts chapter 12, verse 5. We're dealing with uh, this theme of ours, let's pray, and so we've been dealing with uh, the messages are centered around prayer, and so today we want to consider another thought. We want to deal with the prerequisite of prayer, the prerequisite, and uh, we're going to um, take time to um, consider that from two different directions over the next two weeks. Um, we're going to look at how to pray to get what you ask and who can pray to get what they ask. And so today we want to focus on that idea of how to pray to get what you ask. And so Acts chapter 12, verse 5. Now, suppose I were to tell you that uh, I was going to tell you the secret of how to go to any bank in the Akron area and get all the money, all the funds that you could ever need or want. That'd, that'd be pretty good, right? And would it be important to maybe say a business owner here today or someone that needs some inventory or capital? That, that'd probably be something that was pretty important. Uh, and uh, if I, I said that to you, and uh, you know, I, I got to believe there'd be some people saying, well, that's pretty important. That's something that would interest me. How I can go to anywhere in the country, anywhere in the city of Akron, any bank. Can you turn me up a little, please? any bank in uh, Akron, and uh, I can get money. I can get what I need for my business. I can get what I need for my household. Boy, I think that would be something that you'd probably be interested in, I'd be interested in. Now, <clears throat> prayer is going to the bank. 
and it's going to the bank that has the largest capital of any bank in the universe. It's the bank of heaven. It's a bank that is basically, it's owned by the creator of the universe. He has unlimited funds available to you and I. The, he, I mean, the, the vault is absolutely packed. It's unlimited. And not only that, but what if I told you you can go to that bank anytime, day or night? You can go anytime there's a need. You don't have to wait for office hours. You don't have to wait to, through the day. You can go anytime, night or day. Let me tell you something. That's what prayer is. It avails us to unlimited resources. And the Bible tells us that very thing. In the book of Acts, we're going to look at this particular passage and, and, and we'll give it a little bit of background into it. And then we're going to take that passage and we're going to try to figure out how to pray to get what you ask for. Acts chapter 12, verse 5. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. It says, Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Now, King Herod had killed James. Now, that's the brother of John. And he saw that it pleased the people. It pleased the Jews, even. That's kind of hard to imagine, but indeed it did. And so he decided to arrest the leader of the, arrest the, leader of the group, which would, it was Peter. And so he arrests Peter. Now, he arrests Peter during the week, the, the week of Passover. And that was a holy week of the Jews. And although the Jews were more than happy to see Peter go down or die, uh, they weren't really that excited about desecrating their holy day. So as a result, Peter is cast into the prison. And he's put there until the Passover was complete. And then at the end of Passover, he would be taken from prison and he'd be beheaded. That was the plan at that point. Now, things seemed rather hopeless for Peter, you have to understand. Here he is now in this prison. And he's not just in any prison. I mean, he is in a prison where uh, the Bible describes as a, as a very difficult place to be. I mean you got to understand that here he is now, guarded by 16 soldiers. Not only that, but the Bible describes him as having chains on his wrists and being literally chained to a soldier on each end, each side. Now, you have to realize that soldiers in this day and age, if they did not follow through with their job, they were killed or they took their own lives. Peter is in a real bad spot here. He is in an impregnable, impossible place to escape, seemingly so, surrounded by guards and chained to two guards specifically. This is the case or this is the situation we find him in. And yet we find him, interestingly enough, sleeping. Here he is preparing to be beheaded. Here he is on the verge of dying, and Peter is very content to simply sleep. While he is chained to these soldiers, he is asleep, and a, the angel of the Lord, the Bible tells us, shows up. A light shines in this prison. The angel of the Lord smites Peter in the ribs. He, he has to punch him to wake him up. And when Peter wakes up, he, he's kind of groggy, he doesn't really get the whole thing. He thinks he's actually dreaming or having a vision. But the angel, of course, informs him, get up, put on your sandals, and let's get out of here. And so there they, he gets up. The chains fall off of him. They make their way out. They get to the gate leading to the city, and the gate opens on its own. Just an amazing situation. Again, I mean to tell you, um, you know... Peter's in a mess, but yet here the angel shows up. Peter gets outside the gate. He gets to walking around. The angel's gone now, and he gets thinking to himself, you know what, I bet you there's a prayer meeting taking place somewhere. I bet you it's, it's at Mark's mom's house. And so he makes his way over there, and he finally arrives, and he begins to bang on that gate. There's a little servant girl in there by the name of Rhoda. 
Rhoda comes to the door and she must have said, hey, who is it? And he said, it's Peter. And she gets so excited that it's Peter that she runs in and tells the rest of the crowd there that's in prayer right now on behalf of Peter, mind you. It says, Peter's at the door. And they're like, oh yeah, whatever. No, I'm telling you, it's Peter. They go, no, 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 no. And actually, they even go so far as to say this. It must be, it's got to be his ghost, basically, his spirit. And and they're assuming, well, he must have died then. And his ghost or spirit is somehow beating on the door now. they're, They're really struggling with this. Finally, however, though, Peter insists on banging on that door. And so finally, they go to the door. They recognize it's Peter. They get so excited. They're so happy. They were praying. And you know what? It worked. It worked. Now, before we get too upset with them and before we start casting stones and saying, I can't believe it, they were praying for Peter and that's he knows he shows up and they're like, no, that ain't him. We've never done that, have we? Question God, God answers a prayer and we're like, no, that ain't happen. No, that did not happen. Uh, yeah, well, he answered it. Now, if we could just figure out how these got their prayers answered and we could then apply the same principles to our prayers, maybe ours would get answered too, right? So I want to look at Acts chapter 12, verse 5 today as we kick off uh, this particular idea or thought prerequisite of prayer, this first portion of it. I want to look at Acts chapter uh, 12, verse 5. And, and there's four phrases in this particular verse that I believe unlock the secret to getting what we asked for. And so it says, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. So let's have a word of prayer and we're going to look at this thought. Now, I don't know, again, maybe you don't care about getting your prayers answered. Maybe you don't really want access to that, that heavenly vault. And, and that's fine, then don't listen. You, you, you know what, there's, there's toothpicks if you'd like to prop your eyes open. You can still sleep and we would never know the difference. But, 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 but I do think, I got to believe today that every one of us want to know how to get our prayers answered. So let's really listen close today and let's let God speak to our hearts. Father, we need you today. We love you. We're asking for your leadership. May you just work in our lives. Help us to get the idea, to understand the principles needed to get our prayers answered. Lord, you want us to have answered prayer. So, Lord, may you speak to us through your word. We'll thank you. And, Lord, if there be any that are without Christ, may they get saved today. Father, there's only so much time. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Father, I would much prefer them to be in heaven than hell. And I just ask, Lord, you'd speak to their heart and open their eyes to the truth that Jesus saves, that he is the only way, the only truth, the only life. We'll thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Number one, I want you to look, and we're going to move a little ahead in the verse. Look at this phrase here, this phrase, unto God. Before, therefore, he says, Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Unto God. Now, how often do you and I pray where, you know, we don't really have a real consciousness of God We approach God, but we don't approach him with our whole heart. I mean, listen, if there's to be any power in prayer, if our prayers to get get anything in return, then the first thing that we have to be sure about, the first thing that we must guarantee is that we're really coming into the very presence of God himself, that we're really speaking to him. Notice this church here is gathered together, these people, and they're praying unto God. Listen, we should never even speak a word in prayer, whether it's public or whether it's private, until we are without a doubt conscious of the fact that we are in the very presence of God himself and that we're actually praying to him. This is so important. These two words, unto God, unto God, unto God, important words today. They need to sink deep into our hearts. They need to become part of our mindset. We need to always be remembering them because there's never a time when you and I pray 
There should never be a syllable even uttered from our lips until we are sure that we have come into the presence of God and that we are really talking to Him. See, prayer is really simply having an audience with God. And think about that. It's actually literally coming into His presence and asking to get things from Him. That's amazing. The realization of that fact will transform our prayer life. If we would get a hold of the reality that we are entering into the very presence of God, that we are literally crying out to God himself, that it's him that we're praying to, if we would get a hold of that, it'll change our attitude, it'll change our life. See, before we recognize and realize that prayer's literally an audience with God, we're prone to ask this particular question. Now listen, here's the question. How much time must I spend in prayer? How much time must I spend in prayer? But you know what? When you really get a hold of this reality that we're entering into the throne room of God, that we're literally entering into the presence of God and we're speaking to God himself, that question changes. How much time may I spend in prayer without neglecting other privileges and duties of life? I mean, there are some things we have to do, but hold on a second. It seems to me that the real question, most of the time the question that's being asked by believers is simply, how much time do I have to spend praying to be right with God? Why are we asking that question? I'll tell you why. Because we don't even realize what we're doing when we're praying. We've lost the idea, we've lost the fact, and we don't, we're not cognitive and we're not understanding to the point where we don't, we don't even realize we're entering into the presence of God. We're saying words without any heart. Man, a prayer, ought to, a prayer is a privilege. We're having a, 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 a conversation with, we're having a meeting with. I mean, we are literally entering into the very presence of God. Unto God they prayed. They didn't just pray to where it bounced off the ceiling. They didn't just pray and say, we got our duty, we've got to get it done. No, they said, listen, we're going to enter into the presence of God. We're going to be speaking directly with God. What a privilege it is to be able to go into the very presence of God. Let me ask you, what question are you asking most of the time? How much do I have to pray? Or how much time can I pray and not neglect everything else? Which question are you asking? That'll tell you whether or not you're praying unto God or not. What a privilege again to go into the very presence of God. So how can we be sure that we are coming into the presence of God? You know, because let's be honest. I mean, that's big time, right? I mean, let's be honest. I mean, God is holy and he's perfect and he's righteous. And we're simply sinners. Okay, preacher, you're telling me that I can just literally go into the very throne room of God and talk to God himself in person. Yeah. Hebrews 10, 19. Turn there, would you please? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. I'm just going to share two thoughts with you that will help us to understand that we literally can be sure that we're entering in and can go into the presence of God. Here it is, Hebrews 10, 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest. Now remember, you, you got to get a picture. That word holiest is interesting because it takes us back to the tabernacle. See, you, you had the outer court, and then you had the holy uh, place, and then you had the holy of holies, the holiest. The mercy seat was in the Holy of Holies. That's where the Lord Jesus Christ, the God himself, uh, resided between the cherubims there on the mercy seat. The presence of God resided in the Holy of Holies, the holiest place. And now we have in this particular passage in Hebrews, taking us all the way back and tying our, our New Testament faith to that Old Testament tabernacle, and it's saying, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest, not just the outer court, not just the holy place, but the holy of holies, where God literally resides. Watch, though. He says, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. 
Did you see that? That's important again because there can be no question that being a sinner, the sinners that we are, that they're, humanly speaking, there's no way in the world we should be allowed to enter into his presence. We have no merit whatsoever. We have nothing to offer God at all. He's perfect. He's holy. He's righteous. He's without sin. And we are nothing but putrid sores in the sight of God. And yet God allows us to enter into his very presence. You say, how's that possible? By the blood of Jesus Christ. No other way but by the blood of Jesus Christ. You see that? You get that blood and you take that blood out of that book. You take that blood out of the song books. You take the blood of Christ out of our faith. We have nothing. We have no way to go into the God's presence. It's by the blood of Jesus Christ. That perfect, sinless, precious blood. It points out the substitutionary work that Christ provided on Calvary. That's what it's sharing with us. You know, our sins have been laid upon another, and that other is Jesus Christ. He died upon the cross. He made a perfect atonement. What that literally means is that he made a perfect reconciliation for you and I, for our sins. He bought us back. He purchased us back by his blood. There was a payment, and he gave it. And when he died there, he took our place. He took our place of rightful rejection. God had to reject us because of our sin. God could not look upon us because of our sin. God, like he did to Jesus Christ on Calvary, turned his back on his own son because he bore the sin of the world. My friend, in our sin, God cannot even look upon us. Someone says, well, I think he loves everybody anyway. He does love us. That's why he sent his son, because he knows there's no hope without the blood of Jesus Christ. Mankind is lost and without hope, without Jesus and his precious blood. But when he died there, he took our place, and he took our place of rejection. He took our place of the curse. He paid the price. And he made that perfect atonement. And the moment we trust God to forgive us, to justify us, and, the, and we do that, listen, we do that by, because of the Lord Jesus and his death. We do, that, we, we, we do that understanding that in the moment that we ask his forgiveness, that we receive and accept his sacrifice, we are saved, forgiven, and instantaneously our sins are forgiven forever, and we are reckoned righteous. We are viewed now as being without sin before a holy God, because Jesus paid it all all to him I owe. Now we can go into the throne room of God. Not in our own merit, but in his merit. Christ's merit. Even as Jesus Christ can enter into the presences and is God himself, we can now enter in boldly to that throne room because of the blood of Christ. He paid our price. He was our substitute. He had a perfect atonement and paid for our sin. And when we trust him, immediately, I mean instantaneously, we are now able to go to the throne room of God and offer our petitions before the very God of the universe. Right. Amen. Right. Not only that, we come through Christ and in the Holy Ghost, the Bible teaches us. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. There's two little phrases here in this particular passage. I want to note, it says, for through him. Who do you think the him is? It's Jesus Christ, amen? Thank God for him. For through him, we both have access by what? One spirit unto the Father. We have access by one spirit unto the Father. See, it's the work of the Holy Spirit when you and I pray to take us literally by the hand 
and lead us into the very presence of God and introduce us to him and, and, and to make God real in our lives. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. He takes us by the hand in our prayers and he leads us to the very presence of God. He introduces us to the creator of the universe in that regard and he makes God real to us. You can't get to God and you're never going to be successful in your prayer life without the presence of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit. It doesn't work. I wonder, if you've ever experienced this? You kneel to pray and it seems, that it, it seems like you're not talking to anybody. It's like nobody's there. You're just talking to the air. You ever done that in your prayers? I have. Certainly I have. So what do you do about it? You just stop praying till you feel like somebody's listening? You say, well, you know what? It's doing no good anyway. I mean, I, I can just feel it. I don't feel like my prayers are getting past the, the ceiling. I feel like they're going, they're out in the nowheresville. Nobody's listening. Nobody's hearing it. So you just give up? You quit? No, 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 no. When we least feel like praying, that's when we need to pray the most. So what do we need to do then? Well, you need to be quiet and you need to look up to God. Don't talk. Just be quiet and just look up to God. And you know what? God's going to fulfill his promise. He's going to send his Holy Spirit to lead us into his presence and to take and to make him real to us then. Because he's promised to give us the Spirit. So wait and expect that he's going to show up. Too many times we just quit before we ever reach heaven. I mean, we start to pray, and our, 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 we just know, I'm not in the presence of God, but we just continue to go through our prayer anyway. Man, it does no good to do that. Stop praying. Look up and say, God, you promised. Bring that Holy Spirit. Usher me into your presence. Allow him to make you real to me. And he'll take us into God's presence and he'll make God real to us. So we got to come by the blood and we come in the Holy Spirit. And we look for the Holy Spirit again to lead us into the presence of God and to make God real to us. See, we need God the Father to pray to. We need Jesus Christ the Son to pray through. And we need the Holy Spirit to pray in. It's the prayer that's to God the Father. Through Jesus Christ the Son, under the guidance and in the power of the Holy Spirit that God is going to answer. It takes all three parts of the Trinity to get this done. Someone says, who should I primarily pray to? The Father. The Father. And you're going to pray through Jesus Christ? And in the Spirit, who's going to then take you by the hand into His very presence and introduce you to God and make Him real to you. So first of all, we see this phrase, unto God. Number two, look if you would at the same passage. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. The next phrase is without ceasing. Now, that phrase without ceasing comes from a word that means stretched outedly. Literally, that's what it means. Stretched outedly. Stretch outedly. Like, like you're stretching it. You've ever had a stretch Armstrong? You know those stretch Armstrong? Some of the kids may not know. But stretch Armstrong and you take his arms and it's like your brother or sister get on one end, you get on the other, you start pulling. And it just seems like it just keeps on stretching. Stretched outedly. Just keeps on going. And that's why the translators translated it without ceasing, see? So it makes perfect sense. But even then, there's a little bit more to the word than just that. It also implies a sense of urgency or intensity. Now, again, that's a thought that is consistent and it is a characteristic of the entire Bible. Take your Bible, look over at Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13. So they were praying without ceasing, implying that they were continually, yes, praying, that it was being stretched outedly, that it was, that it was, being, it was intense prayer, 
Then you start stretching a stretch Armstrong, pretty soon it gets tough. If you're going to keep stretching, you got to keep working at it. Well, this is what's implied. There's a sense of urgency. There's a sense of intensity here. Notice Jeremiah 29, 13. In this particular passage, it says, And ye shall seek me. Jeremiah 29, 13. And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me. Watch it. Here it is. With all your heart. With all your heart. How many times have you, you know, say you lost something. In America, you know, it used to be years ago, you lost anything. You looked and you looked and you looked because you didn't want to have to buy it again. You know, it used to be you lost a watch or something. Man, you searched forever because watches were expensive and you didn't want to have to go buy another one. They were important to you. They were valuable. And many times somebody would have given it to you as a gift. Now, watches are throwaways, right? I mean, if you don't have one of these, you know, expensive watches, you know, running around with these, you know, iPhones or Fitbits and stuff, you just got a little watch that you bought anywhere. You can buy a watch for 10 bucks. They're throwaways. You get it? You lose it? Whatever. I'm not wasting my time. I'll just go get another one. That's about how it is nowadays. Lord's saying, listen, that's not how you treat me. You want to find me, you don't treat me like an old watch. You better search for me with your whole heart. If you don't give me everything you got, then you're giving me nothing in my opinion. Now listen, I know that's not something we like to talk about. Absolutes just don't do well in America. Nothing's absolute anymore. But, but the Bible's very clear in the book of Jeremiah here when he says, but he says, he says when ye shall search for me, with all your heart. What? What's going to happen if I search for you with all my heart? You're going to seek me and you'll find me at that if you do that. So what's the, what's, what happens if I don't seek him with all my heart then? I'm not going to find him. I wonder, have you found him? I didn't ask, are you saved right now? Where's he at in your life? Can you point to him every day? Are you searching for him every day? So here we learn in this passage why so many prayers are not being answered by God. I can tell you why they're not being answered right here out of the passage. It's simple. Because there's so little heart again in them. There's so little intensity expressed. There's no reason why God should pray, pay any attention to them. We can pray, but praying without the heart is ineffective. It doesn't work. Again, it may teach us a discipline of prayer, which is always good. Don't misunderstand me. That's a good discipline to learn. But it will not provide us the answers that we seek. So let me ask you, did you pray? Did you pray this morning? Here's the question then. I think most everybody in the room, I, I trust, would say, well, of course I did. Yes, sir, I, absolutely I prayed this morning. Here it is. What did you pray for this morning? What did you pray for? You know, sadly enough, some would hesitate and they'd have to think a while. And some may say, well, really, I forgot what I did pray for this morning. Can I tell you, if that's the case, God will forget too. He'll forget to answer it. Some may be able to tell me exactly what they prayed for. But then again, they always pray for the same exact thing. I mean, you have a little list and you simply repeat it rhetorically. Just go through it over and over again. You fall on your knees, you go through your list, hardly thinking about what you're saying at all. In fact, often you don't even think about what you're really saying, but instead you're thinking about 12 other things that are going on in your life. Really? You think God's going to answer those? Ladies, have you ever tried to have a conversation with your husband while he's watching the ball game? Try that tonight during the Super Bowl. I mean, if he's a sports lover. I mean, if he's a man. Oh, did I say that? I'm sorry. Oh, I, I didn't. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, this denationalizing of America, I just get a little nervous. But anyway... Uh, so anyway, you ever try to do that? He, you know, he may speak to you. Oh, yeah, he, he grunts and groans a little bit at you. And, 
seems to kind of try to answer your questions or talk to you for a moment, but you know he's not engaged in the least. You know he's not really listening. He responds, but let's be honest, he's not there. Right? Hold on. Fellas, you ever try to talk to your wife and she's buried in her phone? Or on her tablet? I mean, how does that make you feel? How do you think God feels when we simply word a prayer but never engage our hearts? You know what I mean? Uh, we know how we, we, we don't appreciate that. You know, we never talk. He can't ever get, you know, he's, he's always preoccupied, never wants to listen to me, or he never wants to talk to me. And when he does talk to me, I know he's not really talking to me. He's just kind of pacifying me. How's God feel when we do that to him? And where he's supposed to answer our prayers? But then again, there are some, I'm sure in this room, without a doubt, if asked what you prayed for, you could tell me for sure what it was because you were in prayer. And, the, and while you were praying, the Spirit of God came upon you and, I mean, with great fervency and intensity, you cried out to God and you said, this is what I need, this is what I must have. God will hear your prayer and he'll give you what you asked for. See, the men and women of God who throughout the centuries have really done amazing things, great things in prayer, are men and women who have toiled painfully in prayer. I think about David Brainerd. David Brainerd, he was, a, he was extremely weak physically, but boy, was he a strong man for God. David Brainerd would suffer in his lifetime with an illness that would ultimately take his life at the age of 29. Brainerd felt led of God to labor among the North American Indians early on in the, our, our nation's history. I mean, he would labor in the northern Pennsylvania area, in those forests over there. It was a very primitive and very isolated work that he did. Sometimes in the winter, in the middle of the night, he would go out into the forest and he'd kneel in the snow. Snow that was even a, as much as a foot deep. And there he would labor with God in prayer till, the, till his memoirs tell us that he would literally be drenched with sweat. Do you know that God heard David Brainerd? And God sent a mighty revival among the North American Indians that had never been heard of before and honestly could not even have been imagined. Not only did God send answers to David Brainerd's prayers concerning the North American Indians, but he also sent him answers concerning, the, concerning his father-in-law. You say his father-in-law? His father-in-law was none other than Jonathan Edwards. See, Jonathan Edwards was what they called in the day a metaphysician. What that really just simply means, if I can make it as simple as I can, a philosopher. He was a thinker. He was a great thinker, actually. So much so that he's the only, at that, for, uh, some years ago, he was the only, and I don't know if he still is, but he was the only American that was in the American Hall of Fame, metaphysician at least. He prayed for his father-in-law until finally his father-in-law became an amazing evangelist, on fire for God. You may have heard of him. He preached on the subject of sinners in the hands of an angry God. Do you know when he preached that message in the church at Enfield? He preached it in the power of the Holy Spirit. So powerful was the Spirit in that place that literally strong men in the audience felt as if the floor of the church was falling out from underneath them and that they were sinking into hell. So much so that they literally jumped out of their seats and they threw their arms around the pillars of the church and cried to God for mercy. Because of the prayers of his son-in-law, David Brainerd. If we had more men who could pray like David Brainerd, we may have more men who could preach like Jonathan Edwards. Think about the prayers. I mean, how do you get your prayers answered? You've got to pray unto God without ceasing. You've got to pray fervently. You have to pray intensely. Unto God, 
literally recognizing that we're entering into the throne room of God, that we're being introduced to God, and, 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 and that we're praying directly to God. And we do it with fervency and we do it with intensity. Notice the next phrase, we must hurry, of the church. Of the church. The phrase of the church clues us into another principle that's going to unlock the secret now, how to pray and get what you ask for. See, the prayer that God particularly delights in is answers to unified prayer. He loves unified prayer. Turn to Matthew 18 real quick, and I want to touch on this, and then we're going to close this down because we don't have much time. Matthew 18, verse 19 through 20. This is a very familiar passage for most. But it's also one of the most misunderstood and misapplied verses in the Bible. Notice what it says. It says, and again I say unto you, Matthew 18, 19, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Now, Again, I believe it's a very misunderstood passage. I mean, it, you hear it used a lot. Well, uh, you know, wherever two or more, uh, uh, you know, if, if two or more agree, then God, you know, answers it. It kind of goes like it. That if two of you shall agree on earth to anything, it shall be done then by my Father in heaven. It's going to get handled. It's going to get done. And it would seem right. I mean, that sounds like what it's saying. But there's a word, there's a phrase there, as touching. You see that phrase, as touching? In most cases... What happens really is that I go say to Brother Kavanaugh and I say, boy, I want you, my, my, my brother-in-law is really, really, really sick and I'm brokenhearted and I want you to pray, for, pray with me on it. I want God in on this thing. And wherever, if two pray about it, then it gets answered. So would you pray about that too? Please pray about that. And he says, okay, I'll pray with you. And I go back and I claim this promise. Well, Lord, you said, if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father, which is in heaven. I'm trusting you. I'm believing you. The only problem is this, that as touching part. Say, what do you mean? Well, you might agree to praying, but you haven't agreed to touching the thing you're asking for. I mean, they're over there begging God be with my brother-in-law. Oh God, spare their life. Or oh God, meet their need. Or oh God, do a miracle in their life. And you're going, Lord, bless them and be with them and just help them. You're not engaged the way they are. They asked you. So you're being polite. You're going to pray for them. But you're not as touching them. You're not the one that's extending out. You're not the one that's really burdened about it. We misunderstand the passage. See, when both parties are fervently focused, they're both passionately petitioning the master, there is unity there. That's what God is saying. It's not enough for us just to simply ask somebody to pray for us and then claim a promise and say, well, two or more are praying about it, so God, you got to answer it. Uh-uh. No, God's not interested in it. Remember what prayer, unto God, unto God with fervency and intensity. We're entering into the throne room of God. Listen, I have a prayer list this long. Let me tell you, if I'm not careful, it becomes just that, a prayer list. And you know what God intends for the church? That he puts on our hearts the same things and we pray the same way. Because when a church prays together and is unified in their prayers and the Holy Spirit of God is leading them all into the presence of God and introducing them to the master of the universe and their prayers are being spoken directly to God and they're doing it with intensity and fervency, I want you to know God is pleased to answer those prayers. The Holy Spirit's involved. God would have the church praying in one accord, in unity and singleness of mind. He would have us as a church burden for souls to be saved, hearts to be obedient, labors to serve, and lives to be changed. He wants us praying together. He wants us all to be broken. He wants the Spirit of God to lead us all into that kind of praying. So the secret of how to pray and get what you ask is to pray to God, to pray without ceasing or intensely, to pray in unity and finally, the last one, for him. The phrase is for him. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison 
but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. See, the phrase emphasizes the need to ask specifically and definitely. How many times are we so vague in our prayers, so general in our speaking? We're not specific enough too many times. God's going to answer our prayer as specifically as we ask. We're just too vague. I don't have a lot of time. i got to close this, but I'm telling you, years ago, I still remember, and it was so clear to me, I was praying for God to give us a vehicle. Mine was, had fallen apart. It was a mess. I knew we needed a van. We had more kids now. We had like four kids, and we're jamming them into a little Subaru Justy that's a three-cylinder car. We're packing them in. You say, do you have the proper car seats? We're packing them in. And so I'm saying, Lord, we're going to need uh, another vehicle. And I said, Lord, you know what I want? And this is when those vans started becoming real popular. People had them, but they weren't as popular as they are now. But I thought, man, I want one of them vans. That'd be nice. One of them vans. And we have plenty of room for the kids. We can even throw a few visitors in if we have to. That'd be awesome. And uh, I still remember that it, w- it wasn't too long later. Uh, I don't know if it was two weeks or a month later after I started praying for this van. I got a phone call. And someone said, listen, the Lord's put it on my heart to get you a vehicle. Now, I didn't tell the church. I didn't tell anybody. I'm not like the Bible college student when I went to school that stands up and says, just pray that God will pay my bill. I ain't got no money. God help me. I need it. I never did that. I figured, you know what? God's big enough to do it without somebody else helping me. He's big enough to put on someone's heart. And sure enough, somebody called me up and said, hey, listen, I'm I just telling you, I, I, just, I feel like I, I, you, I'm a, I need to buy you a vehicle. I want to get you something. Uh, the Lord's put on my heart to do that. And I was like, well, if the Lord put it on your heart, that's good. And I'm thinking, man, I know what I've been praying for. And they said, and they called me back and said, listen, I found a vehicle for you. I said, oh, really? They said, yeah, it's, a, it's this particular kind of car. And honestly, I'm going to tell you the truth. I said to them, well, you know, if, if that's what the Lord wants for, for us, and that's what he's put on your heart, then yeah, by all means, I'd be glad to come look. You know, he said, you want to come look? I said, I don't even care. I don't even need to look at it. If this is what God wants for us. If that's what he's put on your heart, that's fine. But down deep, I was going, that ain't what I prayed for, Lord. I prayed for a van. I prayed for a van, Lord. I was disappointed. He said, you shouldn't have been. I was. A few hours later, he calls me back and says, hey, let me ask you a question. I just passed this van, and it's for sale. And I just wonder, would you even be interested in a van? Uh, yeah. Yeah, that sounds okay, too. Whatever the Lord wants. God provided us a van. We used it for years, and then we gave it to another family. And they used it for years. We thought it was at the end of the world. You know, it was over, but they, they used it anyway. I'm just telling you, God answers prayer, but you better be specific if you really want it answered the way you want it answered. It's the Holy Spirit who enables us to really pray unto God, who leads us into the very presence of God and makes God real to us. I wonder, do you want answers to prayer? Then let's get serious about praying then. Let's start praying unto God. Let's get into the throne room of God. Let's stop when we know that no one's listening. Let's stop when we feel like it's hitting the ceiling. Let's take the time to look up and say, Lord, you promised that your spirit would bring me into your presence. I'm just going to wait until you take me there. And then get in his presence and then ask. Ask fervently. Ask intensely. Beg God. Beg God. God will answer those prayers. Sincerely, fervently, in unity, and specifically. May God help us. I wonder today, that same God that we're talking about only provides us access to the throne through the blood of Jesus Christ. You may be as nice or as good a person as there's ever walked the face of the earth. But my friend, I want you to understand that compared to God who is holy and righteous and just, You don't hold a candle. Even as Adam and Eve were removed from the presence of God because of sin, you will be cast headlong into the lake of fire one day, eternally separated from God because of your sin. 
If you don't allow Christ to pay for your sin and to be your substitute, if you don't allow his precious blood to be applied to your account, if you won't accept and receive him as your Savior and Lord today, my friend, you have no hope in eternity. You may have a good education. You may have a nice job. You may have all the things the world says is success. But my friend, you will perish headlong into a place called hell. You will burn forever without Jesus Christ. And if before it is eternally too late, before that trumpet sounds and he comes back, or before you close your eyes in death, my friend, you better receive and accept Jesus Christ or you'll die and you'll have no hope whatsoever. You won't get saved when you're burning in hell. He will not care what you have to say then. He's listening today. He's listening now. Listen, today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Not tomorrow, not next week. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You don't know. You may die this afternoon, my friend. Get it settled. When that music starts playing, you say, you know what? I know I'm a sinner. And man, I'm going to tell you what right now, I ain't messing around with my soul. I'm going to get it settled before I leave this place. I'm just going to find out what God has to say from the word of God and trust and receive him as my savior and be done with that. I want Christ in my life. I don't want to spend a moment separated from God. Father, we come to you. We need you today. Bless us and help us. I may you just work in lives. And Lord, if there be any that are without Christ, have never trusted and asked Christ to forgive them and save them, or if they believe somehow that they, they, they trusted in a baptism or they trusted in, in, in their, their own goodness or their works or they've trusted in, 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 in maybe a, a, a priest or a pope or a Baptist pastor or they're trusting in a preacher. Lord, if they have to be trusting only in Jesus and only him alone, may they settle their salvation today. May they just simply humble themselves and come and hear your precious truths and receive and accept you as Savior. And Father, for the believer, may we quit playing games with God and pursue Him with all our heart and pray to Him with fervency and intensity and enter into His presence. And know, know, Father, may we enter into Your presence in knowing You and, and truly speaking to You. Quit messing around and playing games and just going through our prayer list without any real understanding that we're in Your presence. May we be fervent about this thing. Father, help us to get answers. We'll thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You say, I haven't seen anything.